Today on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast, we are pleased to have Paige Strand uh, joining us on the uh, podcast today. Paige, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Uh, I'm fighting off a bit of a cold, so I sound a little uh, more like Clint Eastwood than I normally do, and probably about a bit as grumpy as he is too. So, uh, but uh, <laughs> grumpiness aside, Chris and I are super excited to have you on the show today. I'm wondering if we can start off with, you know, I, I'm trying to remember when this was, probably a few months ago, that uh, you... Uh, myself and Alyssa Berry, uh, we were on a webinar and we were talking about sort of that correlation um, and intersection between investor relations, cybersecurity, and uh, just broader communications. It's called reputational risk and Repu- cyber. Thank you. I, I knew Christian would remember that. Uh, I was w- wondering, you know, uh, just to use that as an initial touch point, what was one of the key things from you coming out of that, you know, from, a, from that cross intersection and the harmonization of those three areas? Hmm. Yeah, I, I, first of all, I always love, I always love our chat. So that webinar was fantastic. Um, I think the takeaway for me, like just, you know, blending the governance side, you know, investor relations, comms, digital, cyber, everything. Um, I came out of that a little bit, you know, seeing, especially from the board perspective, uh, the amount of seemingly overconfidence uh, when it comes to things like cyber and and are you ready? Are you really ready? Um, I think I saw some data the other day, actually, that said, uh, you know, 67% of board members uh, feel that human error is, you know, somewhat involved. And in actuality, the World Economic Forum came forward and said that 95% of cyber is often attributed to human error in some way. Um, and so, like, out of that webinar, I feel like one thing that was really a key takeaway for me was just how often we feel we're so ready, um, we're so ready for everything, and then it hits us, and and we're like, oh my goodness, were we ready? So, um, I think that's a really important takeaway uh, for anyone, but particularly for boards and executive leadership that are looking to prepare through those through those areas. Absolutely, you know, and and diving into that, maybe, and then, you know, going off the broader into the you know, cyber incident response planning and, and what that looks like from boards. Um, I'm wondering if we could just start off with, you know, from your perspective, why is it so important that boards and executives are part of the cyber incident response planning process, and especially from the, from the comms perspective? Absolutely. Well, it, it takes a lot of buy-in from, from above, right? Like you need to have, like, just as we say in, in comms, like, you know, even just, I was on a webinar the other day, we were talking about internal comms, what's the buy-in, and a lot of it comes from the top. Uh, so it's no different when it comes to cyber, um, having executive leadership teams that, or, or boards, or both, um, that are fully aligned on the importance of that just means more support. And um, I'm, I'm grateful to have worked with teams that really understood the importance. And as the communicator in the room for certain incidents or you know breaches or how do we deal with this in the moment reactively? Um, I know that 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 executive leadership buy-in of that topic is really important. The investment, the time, making sure everything's ready. Um, there was actually a piece that I wrote last year on communicators. How do you get ready for those incidents? How do you get ready? And what do you do? And um, there was some interesting data from, I think it was Deloitte. Deloitte said that, you know, at <laughs> I don't remember the exact data, but, you know, all of these organizations feel that they're so ready. And when those organizations were surveyed again by Deloitte after having experienced an incident, they often said, you know, 
we needed more time. We needed more planning. We needed a more robust comms plan. Um, and so I think that just really highlights the importance, like all layers of the organization really need to be thinking about this. It's not just one person's area or discipline. It's, it's everybody. Absolutely. And I, I remember talking about that with you with the, that Deloitte report. So in the, uh, you're absolutely right. And, you know, in, in, from, from your perspective, what advice or guidance would you give to you know, a, a smaller mid-sized business um, that's starting off on developing their communications plan for you know, cyber incident response? Um, what's the best way of them starting? You know, and um, what, what does a good cyber incident response look like? Maybe from both from an internal communications perspective, but also from an external communications perspective. What are some high, high, uh, sort of high level action items or qualities that they should be looking for to, to develop? Definitely. Um, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there. I'm thinking yeah. where to start. <laughs> but I think like for anyone that, you know, oh my goodness, we are a smaller business. We've never planned for this. And now we are. Um, I think like the first thing to think about is often the focus of, you know, who's in the room. Like I've, I've worked with a lot of organizations where, you know, it doesn't matter how big you are, whether it's a couple hundred or almost a thousand employees, all of the right players in, are in the room not just reactively, but proactively in the planning stages of things. Um, I know when it comes to uh, the other half of your question, which is, you know, what does that look like? How does it, how does it fluctuate, right? Um, I actually would probably give the same advice uh, from the communication side uh, for any size of organization. I'd say it's the before, like the proactive, really being able to ready your plans. You know, what who needs to be at the table in a crisis? How are stakeholders going to be informed? You have scenario strategies in place. You have a spokesperson designated for this already that knows what they're going to say. Uh, and they're not just figuring out in the moment. Um, number two, figuring out what you're going to do during or what you think will probably happen during. So, for example, gathering your facts, making sure, you know, you've got legal, you've got IR, you've got your cyber experts, you've got executive leadership. There shouldn't be silos. This is the last place for silos. Um, everyone's going to be moving fast. It's a high stress environment. So, you know, having all of those players in the room and gathering the facts, it will actually, well, I mean, you guys have probably seen this yourselves, but in the experiences I've seen that often reduces a bit of the stress. Like it's all very important. We've got data on the line, but, you know, having all of those pieces together is absolutely essential to making that go smooth. The third piece is what do you do after? And it's just, securing consistent engagement and building that trust back. So whether you're a small organization, medium organization, huge organization, those are all going to be really important. And the way those get rolled out is probably going to look a bit different. But overall, like that's kind of the formula I would paint for anyone looking to do that. Uh, that's a really great blueprint there, um, Paige. I think that's absolutely fantastic. And it's, you know, rooted in, in pragmatic real world uh, advice and guidance there. The um, last question I had for you before I um, hand the mic over to Christian, um, you're talking about reputation, you know, and arguably if, you know, you don't have a well fleshed out instant response communications plan that could lead to, you know, reputation after a data breach or cyber incident, um, is that something that you're seeing um, executives and, or board members recognize that they need to do this in order to preserve and protect reputation? Or is this still still sort of a, you know, they, they get hit once, they learn the lessons, and then they make sure they don't do it again? Or are you seeing people being more proactive around sort of developing these types of communication plans? 
Yeah, it's, there's a mixed answer on that one. I feel like it is obviously coming into the forefront. We, you know, digital transformation, COVID influenced a lot of things on the digital side. Um, you know, I definitely see more prioritization towards this, but I still do see a lot of that, I guess what we would say, overconfidence of being ready for something. Um, and, and in terms of the reputation side too, like, um, there was something I was reading the other day or a couple of weeks ago, and I'm trying to remember right now, but it was basically talking about like the number of days it takes to recover. Um, like it was like publicly traded companies that suffered incidents yep. took 46 days on average to recover their stock prices to pre be to pre incident levels if they were able to at all. Um, so you're looking at it from like the IR side of things where it's like, how does that impact plan? But from the comm side, which is maybe more where I am looking at things, you know, Sony, for example, <laughs> I feel like I always use this example, um, but like 2014, Sony had a massive breach and, and that went on for some time. And, you know, it's been almost 10 years later and I still feel hear people respond, react, you know, that's not what you do. Um, and, like to think it's been that amount of time um, and we're still talking about it, that really indicates the importance played, not just in, you know, how did this impact prices? How did this impact our products? How did this impact? But it's also the reputation. Like it's really hard. It's easier to build up and maintain a steady, strong, stable reputation than it is to build back. And so for anyone that's like, you know, protection, proactive, cyber is it important who knows that's a huge consideration i would offer to them is it's it's so hard to build back and it takes a lot of time so well said yeah absolutely so on that exact note page there's an article that you wrote i think it was about a year ago and i'll just read the last line of the article to you as it really stood out to me uh, every hour put towards planning and mitigation means less organizational and reputational impact later so how much better is it to focus on that proactive planning and uh, prevention rather than having to explain to people how you did not prepare and you were not proactive, right? Mm-hmm. What, what, Absolutely. What, um, can you dive into that a little bit more? Uh, yeah. Us and tell us kind of the essence of what you meant by that. Absolutely. Um, I would say like from experiences that I was having in tech and finance, I was blessed with a team that understood the importance of you know like i've also worked in in organizations where there's this element of like oh well we didn't you know we didn't want to we didn't want to disturb you we didn't want to bother you and it's like oh well so something happened yesterday um this was maybe the time but being able to have that proactive integration of teams like you're gonna have a lot of disciplines working a lot of different brains a lot of different personalities having everybody proactively integrated together um it really reduces the tone of that room when you are like, you know, day zero of an incident that's taken place and you're dealing with it. If you've already gone through the the processes of, you know, as a communicator myself, having those conversations with the CTO or having the conversations with um, the cyber team or having the conversations with like different members, like when something like that happens, like, you know, ideally it doesn't, but, you know, in the situation that it does, everybody's kind of familiar. It's actually, it's very important and there's definitely stress, 
but it kind of reduces the fear because we've already had these conversations. We already know, you know, A to D. There's a lot of uncertainty, but at least we know A to D. We know where to put our feet, you know, right one in front of the other as we figure out all of these unknowns. And so, like, as a communicator, I would say, oh, my goodness, that is a night and day scenario. Having subject matter experts that know, okay, you know, this is what comms needs to hear, or this is what we need to do next, or um, the questions I ask the most, I feel like, in those situations, proactive and during. It's like, you know, what happened, what is known so far, so that we know approximately what are, what do we need to communicate first, you know, which groups are impacted, what is yet to be known, how are we going to find it, approximately when are we going to find it, and then you build out your holding statement. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with that statement, even even <laughs> even now, every hour towards planning. You wrote the statement, so that's uh, <laughs> that totally makes sense. And then, of course, the other side being that if you don't do that, what does that reality look like, right? It's oh. uh, the complete opposite to everything you just laid out there. Um, yeah. Switching gears for a moment, uh, Paige, augmented reality, if we could just talk about that for, for a minute here. Um, mm -hmm. First of all, can you explain uh, what it is and how it is being used uh, effectively to tell stories and uh, deepen relationships? Absolutely. Um, I am a big fan of AR. I think it's uh, from a storytelling perspective. Oh my goodness, there's going to be so much opportunity there. Um, AR, so I actually gave a talk recently and there was a lot of confusion. So, um, you know, VR and AR, very similar. VR, you typically have a headset, you know, you, you navigate this different environment, um, typically in a gaming or a training scenario. Uh, with AR though, what's really interesting about it is you are still in your own environment, but it's overlapping pieces um, to almost optimize the user experience. So um, there's a video, goodness, I wish I remembered who did it, but it was a real estate marketing or developer somewhere in the, in the real estate industry. They actually mocked up uh, an AR experience, um, you know, being able to see an apartment or being able to see what listings look like in the city and you're walking down False Creek in Vancouver and you can see the different listings live as you're walking. Um, it's just a way of overlapping new information on top of what your current situation is. And I just, yeah, I just love it. <laughs> it's such a cool new way to communicate. I, I know the, um, I guess this would be an example of AR, but I know, I can't remember if this was a, a few years ago, but when uh, the Pokemon game came out, I remember my kids were playing that on the, phone you know and you're we're in our environment they're like oh let's throw the oh, pokeball yeah. over there that that was that's augmented reality right oh yeah, yeah definitely and i would say like that is a really popular example of where ar really came to play um and i, I think the big lesson for us um you know and for businesses alike like really staying in tune with um like i know as a communicator you know facebook came out oh my goodness 10 15 years ago and we were all like mm, is it going to be a big thing? Um, like, and, and you can visibly tell who hopped on immediately and who hopped on years later and went, oh my gosh, we're catching up, right? With AR, it's a similar thing. It is a little harder to implement. It's not just a Facebook page you can you can blow up on the fly, but AR, there is a bit more investment at the start, but it's really clear in just seeing the adoption and particularly like with Gen Z demographic, they're very visual. They're very, they want that interactive, interactive experience at that optimized level. 
um, being able to tune in on that more, I think where where there's a where there's a case to do so, I think is really, really clever. I gave a talk actually uh, with IABC on that, and it was just, you know, not prescriptive, we should all adopt AR, but it was the concept of, you know, let's question it. Like, should we? There were there were communicators there in healthcare, there were communicators in tech, there was communicators like all across different industries. And it was really intriguing to see. You know, some people go, oh, like in healthcare, there actually is a case to use AR. Um, so just seeing people think that through, and I'm curious to see where that lands in like five to ten years. That's that's awesome, uh, Paige. This this uh, it's, it's amazing. We've been or we've been chatting for twenty minutes here. <laughs> the time just time just flew by. Uh, that was absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for bringing your high energy wisdom and just uh, having an awesome conversation with Christian and I today. Looking forward to having you back on the show again and again, and we'll uh, we'll check in with an AR perspective too. <laughs> see, see how see how that's about panning out over, over, over the coming years. But thank you so much for joining us on the show. This was absolutely fantastic. Likewise, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Awesome. And uh, Krish and I will be right back to wrap up today's episode. Why managed service providers love the system hardening platform Sention. It saves time and resources by automating critical functions for system hardening. It provides an efficient and effective way to reduce vulnerabilities in your organization. It mitigates attacker movement and privilege escalation techniques and further prevents cyber attacks from happening in your organization. Now, here's an exclusive for Cybersecurity Matters listeners. Santion has a free offering of their cross-compliance database to get started today. A link will be provided in the podcast description. Santion will simplify your security management journey. Well, that was a fantastic conversation with uh, with Paige. Um, always just really insightful, great practical guidance and wisdom. Um, love her energy. Uh, what was sure. one of your key takeaways? Well, just just talking to her, I think you know she's the kind of person you'd want to have around mm-hmm. when the the house is on fire to yep. keep things calm and know what to say internally and externally. Um, and then the other piece is just the before, during, and after an incident. She has a process to know. A- a- absolutely, yeah. She's a very calm, cool, and collected. Uh, really appreciate the great guidance and practical guidance she gave there for small businesses who may want to be starting their communications plan as it, re- as it re- pertains to cyber incident response planning. But um, very special thank you to Paige Strand for joining us on the podcast today. And as always, one to extend that special thank you to our loyal uh, listeners and uh, viewers who join us each and every week. If you did happen to miss a previous episode, do check out the Cybersecurity Matters YouTube page and or check out old episodes on your preferred podcasting platform. Till next time, be well, be safe, and we'll see you again at some point in the future on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. <laughs>